Welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 528. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast, an ever proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information or to check out other shows on this wonderful network, go and visit evergreenpodcast.com. So before introducing my guest, I'd like to give a quick shout out and thanks for putting up a five-star review of the show on Apple Podcasts by Badish Serifshoy. So this week's interview is with Ray Shanahan. Ray is the CEO at Innovation Works and Chief Strategy Officer at Business Solver, Business Administration Technology. At Innovation Works, Ray and her team support incubating new business strategies and opportunities focused on delivering delight to their clients and their employees. In this conversation with Ray, we discuss some of the key findings in the new Business Solver 2023 State of Workplace Empathy in its eighth annual iteration. We talk about how the survey came to be. We explore why HR managers are feeling so burned out, how to measure empathy, the optimistic bubble of CEOs, why to hold ideas lightly, and why empathy is not a weakness, despite what CEOs fear. You'll find all the show notes on mintodial.com, and please do go and drop in a rating and review, and don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show. Ray Shanahan, I'm delighted to have you on. You are the Chief Strategy Officer at Business Solver with two S's. And um, I have really enjoyed all your work. Uh, in your own words, who's Ray? Oh, I hate talking about myself, Minter. Oh, well, just make it happen. But you know what? I, I just listened to one of your recent podcasts um, from uh, Dr. Nicole Price. And um, what really resonated with me is um, I like to look forward with hope. I like to look backward with gratitude. And I like to look inward with honesty. And and really, the best way to describe me is I've been on a lifelong journey of, of um, accepting, acknowledging who I am. And part of that journey has been able to, to spend the last 23 years so 23 years in 2023 um, at, at, at Business Solver, um, growing from around 10 employees to you know where we are now, around 1,500. And, and it has just been a, um, I feel like I've worked for so many different companies and had so many opportunities. So in a nutshell, that's the best way to think about it. A ray of sunshine. There you go. Yes. I love it. Um, so tell us a little bit about Business Solver, because uh, I'm not sure everyone will have heard of you or or what what does Business Solver do so we understand better? Yeah, well, we're a benefits technology company. And uh, the best way to think about us is um, our focus is on um, creating a um, employee experience so that they understand their employee benefits. Think about it as not as an annual enrollment. You know, I know you're in you're in England, so you're not used to this whole benefits thing where you enroll every year. But we've created technology that enables people to access their benefits, um, and we've transformed it into doing it one you know doing it once a year, so that a way for employees to have access to them throughout the year and get their right benefits at the right place at the right time, and. Um, and you know that's that's what our main focus has been. We we haven't tried to be everything to everybody. We've we've stayed very focused as an organization. You are, are definitely also positioning yourself as a thought leader, and one of the the things that I understand about what you're trying to do is to enlarge or maybe evolve the notion of benefits. Yeah. Um, so what you know. 
when we think about the word right, um, right is not, it's not a one size fits all. Right is really what's best for me. And so as a thought leader, that's why we felt empathy made so much sense as something that that we wanted to um, really magnify. And, and, and because it, benefits are a very personal thing and, and that's what empathy is. I can't pick things for you. And just like, I can't, I can't, I can't know everything that you're thinking about. And part of empathy is, is being able to think about things from a different per- and experience things from a different perspective. So that's really the tie between, Hey, we're running a business, but, but, um, Empathy is something that we feel very, very passionate about. And you'll hear us say, I'm sure John talked about it when he did the uh, podcast with you a year ago, is that um, we can't have delighted clients if we don't have delighted employees. And and, um, a culture of empathy is really an employee first culture. So there, I tied it all together. Thought leadership, our business and our employees. We're going to dig back into that a little bit, but it is quite startling to, to think that People are waking up now to the notion that actually employees deliver the experience. I think that I think you woke up a long time ago, and so did I. How about that? Yeah. Um, I, I don't. I don't know how any organization can um, truly deliver to their to their customers if they don't focus on their employees. Well, you know, I've been observing this. From my time at L'Oreal, where we were basically a a product-centric company, very strong financial controls. And then we got into marketing, but the idea of the customer was far away, really. It's certainly in in our division, even though it was with hairdressers who we loved, but we were really focused on ourselves. And then comes along a company like Amazon that says they want to be the most customer-centric organization on this earth. And I say, well, how does that resonate for the employee? What's the benefit? What, you know, speaking of benefits, what's the benefit to be the most customer centric organization for the employees? Uh, How how does anyone square that peg? (laughs) I think it's a tough one. Um, I, I would probably turn it to this that if you are a customer centric company and you're doing well then you need to have good employees to support that and to grow as an organization um you growing organizations are good for employees because they have opportunities and they they we give you know organizations can give back in their communities so i that's probably how i'd spin that but then it goes back to you can't have a customer centric organization if you don't have a strong employee culture Mm. So I, I listened to your interview with Maria, a good friend, and um, talking about the origin of this survey mm-hmm. that you've been doing for eight years now. And and the idea, as I understood it, was, hey, uh, Edelman is really known for this trust barometer, mm-hmm. and you ended up on this path with empathy. And what's interesting is that there's all the same quite a relationship between the concepts of trust and empathy. How do you describe that? Oh, absolutely. And I think trust is a fundamental part of being able to um, experience empathy. And, you know, I, I balance that with, um, you know, another very, very important element is, is being present is something that 
um, we as an organization have been have been focused on is um, it's so easy to multitask and have all these other things going on, but I can't really get in the moment and experience with another person if I'm not present. So, so trust I, I feel, builds builds that ability to be present to be able to experience empathy. So I'm curious about the internal shenanigans in the boardroom, about the return on investment of this survey for having been on boards. And, and you know, this has become, uh, I mean, a defining piece as far as I'm concerned. That's how, I mean, I mean, there's not a book on empathy that I've read that doesn't quote your, your research. And, and to what extent that then rolls back into some kind of return. How do you evaluate that? Do you guys, I mean, I, I assume you're not doing, you know, the old PR method of, oh, well, I got this quarter of a page here and that's worth 1400 like we used to in the old days. Well, two things, back to trust. Fortunately, we have um, a board that absolutely trusts us and um, trusts us to make the right decisions. And so we don't look for a, a, a return on investment that's directly correlated to having an empathy study. Um, we've really used it as, as an opportunity to um, really just have some thought leadership and um, use it as a, not only as, as a way to hopefully get our brand out a little bit here and there, um, but as a way for us to use it to learn and continue to evolve as an organization as well. Yeah, so you're actually, you're evaluating what's happening in the workplace and you are reflecting also as, as to how you are shaping your own company with this material, uh, you know, for having written a book on empathy myself or mm -hmm. you know, anyone who's written a book about something that that something becomes something of a, a halo around your head or, or sometimes a lanyard around your, your, your neck. And, and you know, I've, I've been told, well, mentor, that wasn't very empathic of you. So you, I end up having to uphold a standard that I sometimes can't always do myself but for you guys you're you're living it and and one of the things that i've found interesting talking to john was that you you didn't necessarily always believe that empathy was the big thing no we didn't um so as a practitioner and working you know again in, in the organization for 23 years i'd say the first seven or eight of them we were not an empathetic organization um we were a uh, anti-HR, both John and I started our careers in HR and we wanted to be, we didn't want to have the, 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 um, you know, the traditional HR view. So we didn't have an HR person in our organization for until the late two thousands. But, um, where I'm going with this story is, is we woke up one day. So we had been, um, we hire people on their first interview. We'd make them an offer right then we'd hire lots of friends of friends and, um, not many of us end up getting married and having a long-term relationship with somebody that we met on for one time, right? Right after the one time. Sure, people right. met on a blind date and they end up getting married, but we were getting uh, making offers on the spot to people to come to work for us. And what happened is we, we started to have a darker culture and it was very much a, um, there was drama, there was um, um, a lot of fun, very competitive. There was still lots of laughs, but it just had 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 an edge. And then um, one day, I came across um, a book called Leadership and Self Deception by the Arpinger Group. And um, I, before that, would never read any 
any self-help books or any business books. I didn't need any help. I knew what I was doing. And that book hit me really hard. And, and what the premise of the book is really having an outward mindset. And um, I said, we need to start to have a very intentional culture. We can't, we can't, we need to be very deliberate about our hiring. We need to draw a line in the sand and say, we're going to end this, this culture of meetings after the meeting and drama. And, you know, that's really where we evolved back in 2009, 2010, and really started to have a very, very intentional focus on, on our employee culture. And, um, you know, I believe that it, you know, has continued to help fuel our growth because in 2010, we had around 70 employees in 2000, you know, 23, we've got about uh, 1500. And um, I don't believe we would have been able to have this success and the growth um, and the joy and, and, and the joy that has come with it with, without having that culture of employee engagement and empathy. One of the things Ray, you and I've discussed previously is, is the, the challenge or the nature of, of measuring empathy. And so what I'm getting from you is 2009, the, the register of empathy was in the zero category, <laughs> but how do you, how do you actually measure or at least evaluate the nature of a, an empathic culture? How do, how do you guys go about that? You know, it is, it is a little bit of a Rubik's cube to, to really get into evaluating it. But there are some, I think, quantitative things and qualitative things that we do in our in our organization that I'm, I'm happy to share because I haven't written books, you know, and you've, you've been successful. I've seen you've done what two thousand blogs, you've done six hundred podcasts. You know, I've just been a practitioner and and mm -hmm. and with a little petri dish. So here's a couple of things that we've landed on. Um, we we rolled out um, something that we call the employee pulse, and we have a series of 12 questions. I'll just read a couple of them. Um, so this is some of the quantitative data that we ask. So we have, I'm connected to the mission and vision of our organization. I feel connected to my leader. I understand how our purpose impacts our business to drive quality results. Um, I'm able to maintain a balance between conflicting priorities. I've received quality feedback from my leader. I feel like my company supports and promotes my well-being. I feel productive. We've added this about working remotely. And employees are able to answer yes, sometimes, uh, rarely, and never. And then we've created a, so, th so they answer the question. And then we've also created a, based on the answers to the questions, a calculated color. So they, they create their color of their pulse. And then we've also done a, you know, a, we've created the color. Um, we've made a calculation of the color. So that does two things. Number one, it, it gives us some data about our employee population and how they're feeling about the organization and what they do. So that's one thing. Another thing is um, we have, we've created something that we call our common language. Um, it's called our table. So one of them is, is respond readily. That means being in discovery mode, being prepared to listen. Um, the T is building trust through transparency. Um, the A is assumed positive intent. Um, B is be real. L is live a growth attitude and E is embrace the reverse golden rule. It's not about the name on the back of the Jersey. It's about the name on the front of the Jersey. And so, so by using that common language throughout the organization, it's, it's a, it's a way that we're able to communicate with employees. It's a way that we are able to, um, um, you know, really 
really have the spirit and intent of, of, of those key values in the organization. Um, want me to keep going? I have a couple more I can share. Do you have well, questions? Well, what's interesting, Ray, is that at no point are you actually measuring empathy per se. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're circling around it and you, you're obviously looking for different indicators. And presumably, it's like the issue I see with some companies and talking about empathy a lot is as soon as you say, oh, we're an empathic organization or one of our values is empathy, hmm, that's almost a, a red flag saying, ooh, right, maybe you have a problem with empathy, so you're putting it on the table. What level of discussion have you had around this as, as far as you know, the, the narrative, the optics of, you know, we do this survey on empathy, but you don't do a question, which is how empathic is my boss? Yeah. Um, I don't think there's a calculated reason, Minter. It's, it's uh, um, I think internally we embrace empathy. We talk about it. We experience it. Um, but I think there's a number of things that go into really exhibiting it as an organization, both with employees, their families, their clients, and other people that we, you know, our clients and other people that we serve. One of the challenges with with this, and John, um, CEO Hannah Shanahan, said uh, in the 2023 report that the, sometimes you make decisions that aren't in the best interests of your employees as a company. Um, they may not even be in the best interests of your clients, of course. <laughs> That's another, another story. So in the end of the day, the, the, the issue that I've seen is that empathy can never be 100% perfect. And we've gotten into a culture where it's really all about being perfect. Hmm. And, and, you know, if I'm not 100%, oh, you're only 92%? Or, you know, or some variation of that theme. So the grade of 100% is, is perfection, and, and people strive for that somehow. Yet, it, like, like relationships, there's the messiness of our relationships. And, and if we can't have arguments, then it doesn't mean our relationship's not going well. It's actually stronger when we know mm-hmm. how to get through the argument. And, and so it's messy. And, and so you, you can't expect to be 100% empathic all the time with everybody everywhere. But we, we don't want to say that because somehow, oh, well, oh, you mean you're not empathic? Well, no, no, I just, you know, we got to do stuff. We have to take hard decisions sometimes. We don't have the time all the time to listen to everybody everywhere. How do you react to that? Oh, I could go on for a little while. Um, <laughs> how I react to that is, you know, we're, um, as an organization, you know, we, we study different concepts and share different concepts. And um, right now we're, we're, we're reviewing a book by um, a guy named Kyle McDowell, um, start with we or begin with we. And he makes it very clear about doing the right thing always. Um, sometimes it isn't going to be the right thing for the company. It might not be the right thing for the employees. It might not be the right things for the customers. But in the bottom line is, he says, if you don't have an organization, you're not going to have employees. And so sometimes you do have to make some of those hard decisions that, that are not always right for, not always best for the, um, each employee might not say, oh, that's great for me. Like he's an example. You can't go and give everybody 200% raises. That's, that's not, that's not sustainable for the organization. Employees might like that, but that doesn't mean it's right for the organization. So there is a delicate balance that, um, 
and I'll be, I'll, I, I, I say this over and over again. Empathy is not about um, always being nice. Empathy is not always about um, no accountability. And, and you can have empathy and accountability in an organization. The world's best known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel. Absolutely. And the challenge, of course, especially when there's doubt on the horizon, where, where economics don't play out. And so you don't even have the option of, of any great raises. And you have the pressure, the shareholder pressure, maybe, that comes down. And you know, what, what, how, how are you doing this month? And and these types of things will, uh, outside of anything else, will stress the senior executive team. Mm-hmm. And stress is, that's a, re- that's a real stress. And, mm-hmm. and stress is a, a real taker away of the ability to be empathic because you're kind of focused on your own career and maybe by the end of the month, I'm going to be fired or, or something else is going to happen. Yeah, so one of the things I, I, I think, I ta- well, I think is, is interesting is that Empathy should and can also be a two-way street between the employee and the boss. It seems like there's always this onus on the boss to be empathic. They have the authority somehow. They, of course, they 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 run the roost. Yet, what to what extent do can we expect employees to have empathy for a stressed boss, or is that supposed to be just discarded because that's what you get paid for? I I believe wholeheartedly that it's important for bosses and employees. <laughs> I hate to use the word bosses, but, but to have a relationship and they need, and and I think an empathy can be passed up. I can say to, a, 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 you know, somebody that's on a, a leader's team can ask a leader and ask a leader and talk to a leader about how are you? And, you know, that's something that I think is very important to bring into the organization is, is leaders need to be authentic leaders need to be vulnerable and and it's okay to show that you don't know everything and and you know we all work as people want to feel like they matter they want to feel like they're they're supporting something and doing something good and and you need to have a culture where um i i firmly believe you have to have a culture where you have you have work relationships this is a relationship we spend a lot of time at work and and it's good that we can have um, have open dialogue, and it all starts with leaders have to be um, can't be a fear based culture, and they have to be able to be vulnerable and not know everything. It strikes me that that year two thousand and nine, where you found this darkness, and and there was a, as I understand it, some sort of level of mea culpa, which <laughs> in the in the end of the day is about as vulnerable as you can get as a CEO, because well, it, can, it can be the end of your line if you start saying, I, I screwed up, I made mistakes. But that 
presumably allowed for really was a shift. I mean, a mm-hmm. step change in the ability for people to say, how are you doing really? And it, 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 he, by, by John's admitting to the situation and the senior team's desire to change, this opened up a whole new way of speaking. It did. So I'll give you an example. So Wendy Reeves, she's one of our longtime employees. Um, she, she, this is, this was, I think the kind of the truly the, the moment that I said, I, this has to stop. So she had started and, and, uh, back then I talked about, we don't do any HR. So we wrote, um, we wrote, uh, we wrote offer letters on napkins. I think hers was on a gun gum wrapper and, you know, Wendy excited you're going to join us something about, um, you know, forgive us for all warts and freckles. Um, keep, let me know how you're doing. And she, the first few months she's, Oh, this is so awesome. I love it. It's just, Oh, we're moving, we're growing so fast and this is amazing. And then, and then a couple months later she quit. And, uh, I'm like, Wendy, what, what's, what's up? You said, you're going to come talk to me if things weren't going well. And she's like, well, right. I just, I don't know. You know, sometimes I, I'm so glad we're growing, but we're growing too fast. And I, I don't feel like I'm a good mom, but, but I'm having a lot of fun and, and, you know, I don't have any balance. And you could see that she was kind of illogical in that comment. And so she, she, I said, okay. And she left. And then about a year later, um, we were having an open house. We'd redone the office and it looked nice. And, and, uh, she came in and she's like, um, Ray, Patrick, um, Patrick wanted me to ask you, um, if you would hire me back. And I said, say that again, Wendy. Yeah. She continued. And then, um, and I said, well, well, why? And she said, Patrick said that even though I was working hard, he said that I was a better spouse, a happier, better mother. I was happier all around and um, want, want, felt that I should ask to come back. And at that moment, I said, you know what? We, we can do this. We can, we can be the positive place. Let's focus on the things that we're really good at. And, and, you know, that's kind of where things started. Patrick being her husband, I'm guessing. Yeah, Patrick being your husband. Yeah. So in your report, um, uh, there's so much in your report that I, mm-hmm. if, of course, anyone who's listening has to go read. There'll be show notes for that. One of the things that is clearly tough, and it's funny, it's sort of ironic, I think, that you know you you, you eschewed HR at some level, mm-hmm. but this report uh, focuses on the mm-hmm. human resources and it's there's a this at the one hand there's this deficit of of evaluation of empathy and there's also this huge rise in mental health and descriptions of burnout and and for me at some level i'm thinking sometimes we we try to do good too much and and that trying to strive for the the proper the best the politically correct the the hundred percent is is such a an unachievable stress that that also has been provoking a burnout and b mental health you know i think you've heard me talk about holding our um holding the concept of holding our ideas lightly and that's yeah. how i feel about the hundred that's how i feel about the hundred percent is it's it's not it's not feasible it's mm. it's 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 it sets us up for failure. And is that the ego that, that is getting in the way thinking that you need to be at the hundred percent and how do we take the pressure off that, that you don't have to be at a hundred percent. And 
I agree that that's weighing on on um, when we think about the different generations in the workplace. It's it, it's a difficult concept. Um, and you know, the only thing I can think of is is making it okay. It's okay to fail. It's okay to make mistakes. It's just not okay to make them over the same one over and over and over again. Right. And you know, you know, organizations can talk a good game about that. And and um, but it's it's an important thing to be able to reinforce. Yeah, and, and and presumably model it at least in mm-hmm. the beginning to say, hey, some days I come in, I'm feeling shit, mm-hmm. and and if you can do that, then that gives the sort of it pops the bubble. Uh, I I suppose you might refer to that as the optimistic bubble. Yeah. Uh, at, at some level, um, you know, during this whole COVID pandemic story, where for certain companies and sectors it was mandated to work remote. So there wasn't a choice. You just had to buckle down and make it happen. Now we have a choice. <laughs> and and even during the pandemic, the number of times I, I observed or listened or heard a CEO say, well, it's not that tough for me, you know, and then open brackets. Well, because I get to go to my country home where I have three dogs and I get to walk with them and I have a, a huge living room and there's just the two of us living in a huge house closed brackets, you know, and they, they don't have any relationship or understanding of how the life is for in remote work. On the other hand, now we, we have the choice and, and when there's choice, you have to get enrollment. You have to think about how you're going to structure the business and, and which, which is the right mix. And it feels like HR is caught in the middle. Yeah, it, it, it completely does. Um, you know, I think you saw in the in the in the the results um, in our from our survey what in 2022, 91% of HR professionals viewed their organization as empathetic, and in 2023, that number dropped to 68%. Huh. And and part of this is, I think, a lot. Of my my personal opinion in reading through the data is is a lot of this is tied to the HR professionals are stuck in the middle of a kind of a yin and a yang about. Um, they were, they were, you know, helping people staffing for remote hiring different people. And then we have so many of these, the CEOs are ordering their people, employees back into work and they're stuck now saying, I have integrity. You, if we think about HR, I mean, they, they, you know, they're probably the most empathic people. They are the most, um, thought, you know, tend to be the most thoughtful in the organization too, about the people needs. So they went and hired all these people and gave them opportunities to work anywhere they wanted. And now, you know, then, then there's a sudden turn and, you know, they, you know, they, they, they hired those people with integrity of the, of the, 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 we're going to work remote. And now they're stuck in the middle of having to tell the people, sorry, you're going to, we're going to count your badge swipes. And, um, and you have to be back in the office. And I'm sorry that you moved and sold your car, but you're still reported back in the office. And you know they're stuck having to fulfill those, the those those I want to call mandates that that come from some of the CEOs. One of the things that I picked up about how you guys run the business at Business Solver is also some level of transparency about the business itself. And it, it's quite amazing how little, uh, certainly in my time at L'Oreal, I was there for 16 years, we would spend any level of conversation around how the business was actually going or how any other parts of the business, you just got to do your business on your job and get that done. 
and yet the context in which we're we're working in the old days we sort of thought every year is we had to do 10 percent growth just come shit or shit or shine that's what had to happen but what what is difficult is is making a hard decision and 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 making it making people getting enrollment for that decision and using if you if you're not able to do it look at look yourself in the mirror as a ceo and 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 give a, a solid explanation without feeling either condescending or some other type of un, unappreciable management style what, what we need to do is, is is help them understand why you're you're mm-hmm. making that that decision and then that the two way empathy starts to come into place yeah um context helps people understand they may or may not agree but it at least helps them understand that there's there's thoughts behind those kinds of decisions and john and i both agree as well as the rest of the executive team that that there's nothing more important that we can do is than to make sure that our employees understand the business understand what's going on and how they fit in to what's going on in the business um we commit to every monday morning um at 8.30 Central, we do a, we call it what's going on. And um, we highlight a different part of the business, share, you know, monthly share results, um, highlight, you know, different activities that we have on our, we call it our Solver Nation calendar, opportunities for employees to engage. And then we celebrate uh, the people's successes. And, and you know, it's a, I think we've missed it three times since the beginning of the pandemic. pandemic. And um, it's it's just built a different level of interaction with our employees too. Um, in the office, it was, in, I think people were more intimidated and less comfortable talking to some of the senior leaders. And it's almost like the pandemic has helped us kind of have a level playing field. Um, we, we are all seen from shoulders up. Um, and, and it's, it's easier for, it's easier to interact with more employees. Um, when you're in offices and you have multiple places, it's very difficult to necessarily have, have interactions that are, you know, that are meaningful. And, and um, you know, we've just really seen that, that, that employees are, are grateful for getting to hear what's, what's going on across the business and, and grateful that, that we're willing to share. So in the idea of, of creating a more empathic culture and, there's a lot of expectations that are coming from the younger people that you you identify. Mm-hmm. But if the expectations are too much and the business is going to go under because you're trying to solve all these expectations, there, there needs to be a level of at least, I want to say pushback to understanding. And, and something you talk about is having open dialogue. The, the, the pre-prep work for that is to have the trust as well. Because when I, if I want to be explaining that we have to cut workforce or we have to do something that doesn't sound so hot, to do that in a way that is, is not meeting expectations is, is part of that tricky balance that you have to match. You know, I, I go back to one of the phrases that always sticks with me from Brene Brown, which is clear is kind. And um, 
you know, I, I had to, I had to let an employee go um, a while ago because you do, you do, you, it's still important to have performance and, yeah. and I view accountability, that you, accountability. And, and if you've been clear on what your expectations are, you can still maintain dignity when it's not the right place for someone and you can have, and, and, you know, this person was thankful for the dialogue understood. And it doesn't mean that they're not good people. It just isn't the right place and right time. And we're never, um, we're never as clear and memorable as we think we are in conversations. And, and, you know, so one of the things that, you know, I stress with people is, does that person really know, would they be surprised if I asked them how they're doing? Would they be surprised if, if I went to them and said, did you know you're almost out the door? And, you know, if they, most of the time, most people, because nobody wants to have that directive feedback, but as leaders, that's what we, we, we have to be able to be clear and, and, and again, not be afraid to sometimes repeat ourselves because again, we're never as memorable as we think we are. Mm. Well, the expression that I I basically co-opted from a friend and a mentor for me, Pat Parenti, is to be fair and firm. Mm. And that's that notion of of clarity. Of course, if you don't have that clarity within you as a leader, then that that's where the, the problem begins. So we have these these situations where you have these HR people that are are burning out. Um we have the over-appreciation of ourselves, an over-appreciation of the clarity of what I'm saying, an over-appreciation of how empathic I am. What, what sort of, you know, I, I assume that out of your survey, the work you're doing, you're also having to educate your clients. Uh, at least they can't just sit on that and say, oh my gosh, you know, we're, we're, we're now we're bad. Now, how do I get back into this because I can't just give give up to all the the expectations. I still need to run the business. I still need this accountability and he still needs this performance. Well hopefully there's some a few data points that can help them have a conversation. You know one of the things that we talk to our clients about is um, you you data doesn't tell the story. You need to use the data to be data informed and to be able to have a story. And so you know Sometimes when we think about our HR professionals, um, they, you know, helping them be a more strategic conversation um, at the, you know, at the table and using data to be able to drive that dialogue, you know, with, 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 I think what, what was one of the, one of the data points and I look at my notes. So CEO said 63% said that the return to office has positively impacted their mental health, while only 39% of professionals say the same. You know, there, there's some real stories there that can show where there is the divide. And in that divide, there's an opportunity to, to help help them build a bridge. And so hopefully the survey and some of the data points, especially about the expansion of, of the definition of what benefit what employees think benefits are. You know, I think 96 or 7% said having a flexible work schedule was an important benefit. Many of our traditional HR people don't think about that as a benefit. They think about health and welfare and those kinds of things as benefits. And, and don't they also, I assume, 
attached to each of those benefits a dollar value. This is like your insurance package. This is your, you know, sports, um, what is it called? You know, uh, yeah, fitness, fitness club. Yep. Yeah. So that, oh, that's going to be $14 per month per employee and, and, and a flexibility. Well, what's the cost of that? So many times organizations create policies that they want to treat everybody the same, requiring everybody back in three days a week, the same three days, or you need to have four badge swipes. And sometimes those decisions are, are to deal with a few outliers. And sometimes there's, I, th- I think sometimes those blanket pow- um, policies are more cowardly because um, they don't want to deal with the hard conversations. And, you know, I believe that, you know, back to the whole trust conversation, let's, let's give employees that flexibility. Let's trust them to do the right thing. Let's trust them to do their work as they're, as they need to and deal with the outliers again, rather than applying the same rule to everyone. Blanket stuff. So last uh, question for you, Ray, um, you've been doing this survey for eight years, the drop in perception of empathy at a company has dropped down. I was wondering, and and there is one st- statistic, which I'll, I have to throw out there, which is that um, CEOs continue to worry that being empathic is a sign of weakness. Uh, to what extent, yeah, that's a crazy one. I want you to comment that one. And to what extent do you believe that people are understanding empathy more since the the subject of empathy is now so much more present, regularly talked about, written in many books. Your survey has become uh, well known. Do you feel like people are actually understanding empathy better, or not? I do. I do think people are understanding empathy. You know, when I was reading through your book, um, it's artificial. Uh, what what is it? Artificial. Empathy? Artificial empathy. Yeah. yeah artificial <laughs> empathy. Um, it was fun to see the the Google search from you know what early two thousands all the way to here and and to see the steady line. So I have to believe that you know repetition is the motor of learning and and seeing it more, hearing it more, there's more knowledge and awareness. Does that mean people in this divisive world we're in are are as um, are 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 empathic as they, as they think they are, you know, I don't, I don't think our survey judges that at this point. And, you know, it's, it's exciting to see the energy around it. And I believe that it is that the energy around it is, is making a difference. Well, I am delighted by that, Ray. Uh, We, we, um, we're a bunch of empathy activists and we consider you guys almost flag bearers for us uh, who are each trying to fight in their own way. And and what I appreciate about the way you speak, Ray, is that, well, first of all, there you, you feel it's personal. And two, you don't express it as some sort of dogma. It, it is a work in progress. It has to be ups and downs. And and sometimes uh, you, you don't have the time or the, or the mindset and, and, uh, we we need to allow for that type of imperfection, mm-hmm. otherwise, you know. And, and you you talked about treating adult employees as adults. Absolutely, the more you try to control them and, and operate by a, a system of fear, 
unless and no information the less likely you're going to get anything back so anyway bravo to you guys at desert solar bravo thank you so much ray for coming uh on my show and talking about this and i'll put any show notes what would you like where would you like people to go um following this chat um Follow us as an organization on LinkedIn, um, as well as as that's if you want to, uh, I'll post every once in a while. And then um, you can learn more about our organization um, at businesssolver.com with two S's in the middle, like you said, Minter. Um, I think John regrets that he didn't put three S's in there at the very beginning, but uh, it's, it's too late to change that now. <laughs> It is what it is, um, and and you're you're becoming known. Sometimes the little mistakes uh, can be good. So that's my feeling about you know the things we do. You you rewrite the story. There you go. Thank you very much, Ray. Thanks, Minter. Enjoyed it. Thanks for having listened to this episode of the Minter Dialogue podcast. If you like the show, would like to support me, please consider a donation on patreon.com forward slash. Interdial. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast service. And as ever, rating and reviews are the real currency for podcasts. You'll find the show notes with over 2,000 and more blog posts on Minterdial.com. Check out my documentary film and four books, including my last one, You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man. Man. I'm ready for it already. I'm a convinced man.
Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.